time for our second hour roundtable on America Can We Talk with Debbie Georgiatis. More talking truth about America. And welcome back to America Can We Talk. This being the first Sunday of the month, I have my Millennial Roundtable here. I have Jeremy Wolf and Allie Beth Stuckey. And we always start the second hour with our Right View Roundtable question. And um, I want to just preface this with a little bit of uh, factual background. So the question has to do, I want to talk a little bit this hour about free speech in the context of college graduations and it's not just free speech issues but there are other things about race relations and just kind of the whole atmosphere of political correctness on college campuses but the specific thing is so at harvard this year harvard's graduation a group of black students approached administration much earlier in the year and asked if they could have a separate graduation for black students now, to be clear, um, they said, number one, they were going to come to the, the regular graduation. So it was an additional thing. It wasn't in place of participating in the normal graduation. And it was uh, that they had raised their own money to pay for it. So they weren't asking for money from the school. They just wanted to hold it. And they said that everyone was welcome. It wasn't that other people were excluded. It was, you know, it was, it was to honor black students and kind of a celebration, say they, of the accomplishments of having black students, um, so many graduating from Harvard, one of the world's premier institutions, and um, and just kind of celebrating black progress and success. So the school said yes, and they went ahead and had it. And you know they've had we've had so much conversation in America about race relations and uh, hyphenated America, and you know, uh, but then again, try you know the, we have a history of segregation in America, and so maybe black students felt like they were really celebrating progress in the world. But so if you were on the if you're a Harvard administrator, I don't know who's going to go first over there, but the, a Harvard administrator, what would you have said to this group of black um, students who wanted their own graduation? I would say that it's taking us back to the days of segregation. I mean, on one hand, I I understand what they're trying to do, and I'm not condemning this in absolutely all forms. It just seems a little bit regressive to me, especially for a group of people who largely see themselves as progressive. Um, To me, this doesn't necessarily accomplish what I think they intend for it to accomplish. They're trying to celebrate um, black success. And I think the way to do that is to walk alongside people of other races who have also succeeded and say, look, we're right here. And 50 years ago, we couldn't have been right here. We weren't allowed to sit right here. But now we are. And look how many of us are walking across the stage. But now they're kind of they're kind of going backwards by by reseparating it. And I think that I think that puts them in a bad place. Okay, so you would have shared that, but then then again, if they want to do it, I mean, Harvard couldn't really say no, but they actually were very cooperative about it. So you would have said, given, given all the sauce, but go ahead, right? I mean, I, the fact that they were paying for it, okay, I, I understand that. That kind of makes it a little bit better for me. However, if white people said that they wanted a separate graduation, do you think that Harvard would have said, okay, if you pay for it? No. Right, right, Jeremy. Right, yeah, I think there are a few layers to it. <clears throat> First is, is like Ali mentioned, um, the fact that it's an additional ceremony, I think it's a little more thoughtful than just identity politics and, and segregation. Um, but if I'm, the, if I'm the administrator, if I'm the faculty member, I don't think that a, a, a separate graduation ceremony is, is the appropriate forum for celebrating. You know, they, want, they say they want to celebrate black excellence and the progress of African-American culture. Um, I think that the president who came out and made the, that statement, uh, the organization itself is the Harvard Black Graduate Student Alliance. And I think that an appropriate place for them to celebrate 
uh, black progress and excellence would be through that club and, and some sort of celebration, but that a graduation ceremony isn't isn't necessarily the appropriate way to do that. Um, you know, next May when the when graduation comes around, again, when white students ask for for this same thing or a female only or a Jewish only or an agnostic only portion of the student body, the road that this heads down is more division and and further away from unification. And and so to Ali's point. I do think it's more regressive in terms of race relations. Yeah, I do too. And you were alluding to the point I was going to make, which is what if there there are numerous minorities in this hyphenated world of America? If we had, you know, Latino Americans or uh, the Muslim community, or frankly, they have a Wiccan community there uh, or the Jewish community. If you had all sorts of groups and we want our own, I, I don't know. It just has a feeling of division. And I go back to something I said at the start of the show, my first five tonight, which is I think that, under President Obama, and for eight years under him, there was a there was a very intentional effort to establish a sense of victimhood in many people and to drive people into thinking of themselves as their primary identity, as a, you know, whatever it is, hyphen American, a, you know, a, a um, whatever, wherever it is, whether, whether it's Hispanic or Asian or whatever the hyphenated thing is. And that being your core identity. And once you do that, you start to tribalize America. It's like we got past, we didn't like the idea of tribes. We like to be of one people. And the idea of America, of coming together as a country based on ideas, is what made us great. We got past the tribalism of, of our European ancestors and battles between the Greeks and the Turks and all the other ones you can list and said, no, we're going to be a country. We're not about ethnicity. We're not about race. We are about the ideas of America. So I guess if I were Harvard, I would have said, okay, but let's talk first about what we really should be rallying around, which are celebrating that we live in this country that gave rise to the abundance and the, and the prosperity and the goodness and the security that comes from our ideas, not our race. And we're almost, this guy's going to, Play music while I'm trying to talk. So we're all up to our break. I'm Debbie George Addis. I have my happy roundhead with me. Don't go away. Could you lose your career because of your faith? Could your pastor be sued because of his sermons? Can students and teachers be punished because of what they believe about God? Can the government or even your employer force you to violate your beliefs? Get the answers and, if necessary, legal protection from First Liberty Institute. First Liberty is the nation's largest legal organization dedicated exclusively to restoring religious freedom in America. In fact, First Liberty's nationwide network of top attorneys win over 90% of their cases. They've won at the Supreme Court all the way down to local schools. Visit FirstLiberty.org to learn more about how First Liberty is protecting religious freedom for all Americans in the workplace, public schools, your church, the military, and more. That's FirstLiberty.org. If you want hope for religious freedom and a free listing of your rights, go to FirstLiberty.org now. Attention Ronald Reagan fans. What is the one item most sought after by Americans who love the Gipper? It's Young America's Foundation's Reagan Ranch Calendar. Young America's Foundation is the leading youth outreach organization dedicated to ensuring that increasing numbers of young Americans understand and are inspired by the ideas of individual freedom, a strong national defense, free enterprise, and traditional values. New audiences of young people across the country are introduced to conservative ideas through Young America's Foundation's programs, including the Reagan Ranch Program. 
program. The Reagan Ranch calendar contains spectacular images of the Gipper enjoying his beautiful 688-acre ranch, the Western White House. For a limited time, the calendar is free. Even shipping is free. To receive your beautiful Reagan Ranch calendar from Young America's Foundation, call 800-USA-1776 and mention the phrase Reagan Gift. Again, the number is 1-800-USA-1776 and Reagan Gift is the code. Learn more about Young America's Foundation at www.yaf.org. That's yaf.org. The National Center for Policy Analysis brings together the best and brightest minds to tackle the country's most difficult public policy problems in health care, taxes, retirement, education, energy, and now national security. The NCPA works to develop and promote private, free market alternatives to government regulation and control, solving problems by relying on the strength of competition and the private sector. As America's think tank, the NCPA wants to make sure you have access to simple, clear solutions to the issues that matter to you. Come get to know the NCPA at one of their events and join the conversation by following them on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. To get policy solutions delivered straight to your inbox, sign up for the NCPA free email newsletter or subscribe to one of their policy blogs. To get involved with America's Think Tank, go online today to ncpa.org. The NCPA would love your support and you'll love being part of the solutions to America's challenges. So go to ncpa.org. That's ncpa.org. America faces unprecedented threats to our national security. The Center for Security Policy, based in Washington, D.C., is a national leader focused on the organization, management, and direction of public policy coalitions to promote U.S. national security. The Center is a special forces in the war of ideas dedicated to identifying opportunities and challenges likely to affect American security and acting promptly to ensure that they are the subject of focused national examination and effective action. The Center enlists support from executive branch officials, key legislators, and other public policy organizations and brings these teams together to develop and shape policies that will keep America safe. Check out centerforsecuritypolicy.org for the latest news and developments brought to you by America's leading security experts. Becoming and remaining informed is one of the best ways every citizen can be a part of the mission to keep America safe. That's centerforsecuritypolicy.org. And welcome back. I'm Debbie Georgettis, and I have my happy Millennium Roundtable here tonight. Jeremy Wolf and Allie Beth Stuckey. Actually, do you just like to go by Allie? I keep saying Allie Beth is such a nope, cute name. No, either one. Either one. My, a lot of people call me Allie Beth. I okay. sometimes introduce myself as Allie because it's quicker, yes. but Allie Beth is perfectly fine. Lots of people call me that. Yeah, it's a cute name. Okay, Thanks. It's like a Southern name. Okay. It is. All right. I like that, even though <laughs> I'm from New York. Okay. Well, you know, on this college things, we did a campus craziness update a few weeks ago. and um, But I want to loop back a little bit about colleges before the commencement season gets away. Just to say, you know, a couple things about, I mean, I guess we're going to talk about Mizzou, which has a little bit of fallout from things for two years ago. Was that two years ago? Did that all happen? Yeah. At this point, yeah. Yeah. And I would also about Yale, but I'm going to start with Yale because it's such a simple story to picture. So Yale, you know, Ivy League place, has in the fall, and I think it was actually, it wasn't if 2016, it was fall of 2015, but they had a policy, Halloween time came around in October, and the student, you know, 
I was just thinking of a smart aleck name for them, but whatever the Office of Diversity and Sensitivity and Culture, blah, 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 put out a notice saying essentially let's all be really careful um, with our um, Halloween costumes. And so don't – and they, they were warning people about um, Halloween costumes that, that they shouldn't wear, that they're offensive – um, and they should be sensitive to thinking how other people to avoid wearing potentially offensive Halloween costumes. So, some person who saw their head on straight, an associate head of Silliman College, Erica Christakis, responded. She's an adult, responded to say, You know, do we really need to have the college weighing in on Halloween costumes? And can't we just trust? our student body to talk to each other, to say, hey, you know, your your um, costume offends me. And, I mean, j- just to have a conversation. And so she was attacked. Her husband was attacked. In fact, when I say attacked, the husband engaged in a lengthy conversation with a bunch of students in the middle of campus. And the, the, they don't have a quad, whatever they call it there, the, the one green area, and, and was really surrounded by a mob of angry students who got in his face and said, I'm just going to read you the quotes that matter here, um, which I'm getting to a point relevant to today. But one of the people said to him, to this professor, I'm not finding it fast enough, essentially said, got in Chris Akers's face, a male student said, he got right in his face, he said, look at me, assuming a position of physical intimidation, told Chris Dacus that he, this, this white employee of Yale, is incapable of understanding what he and his classmates are feeling because Chris Dacus is white and ipso facto cannot be a victim of racism and he accused Chris Dacus of stripping people of their humanity. This is all arising out of Chris Dacus defending his wife saying, what's wrong with just not having Halloween costume policy instead of talking to each other. So the reason I bring this up today is these two students who got in Christakis's face, yelling at him, crying, students standing around sobbing, those two people were given an award for their work toward uh, enhancing race relations and um, understanding racial diversity, whatever it was at Harvard, at Yale, I mean, they're actually awarded for this confrontational, belligerent thing which solved nothing. And we were just all sitting here on the break saying, why? Why is that award worthy? So a professor is allowed to, for example, say that uh, Trump's America is racist, is bigoted, is xenophobic, is Islamophobic. I can't remember what specific campus that was, but there was this video that was leaked um, by by someone right after the um, inauguration who said, the professor said, okay, you know, our country is going to hell in a handbasket. Well, that person who recorded that video, I assure you, is never going to be awarded. In fact, he was <laughs> roundly condemned by that professor who was very angry when she had found out it was leaked. So we can have on one side of the spectrum, a professor say that, and she gets no real harm, isn't punished at all. But on the other side of the spectrum, we have someone who at Yale didn't even make any provocative claims. She didn't encourage people to be offensive. She just said, "Do does the school really have to step in? In. Can we not let students figure this out for themselves and have the conversation among themselves? That's all she said, and she got reamed for it. Oh, they both lost racist. their jobs. Christakis, the woman who wrote it, and the husband got driven out of Yale. They had left Yale because of this incident. I mean, if that's not Orwellian, I don't know what is. I heard Kimberly said that earlier. I mean, that is 1984 groupthink. That is thought police. That if you even suggest that we think a different way, then there are going to be vast repercussions for your actions. You, Your life will be ruined, basically, for the sake of political correctness. It's sad. Yeah, and Yale awarding it 
is so bad. Right. I mean, <clears throat> to give a race relations award to somebody who drove two people out of their jobs, I mean, is, is so <laughs> bad for you. <laughs> but but I think, you know, just the discourse to begin with, you know, not even the substance of the argument from either side, just the discourse that the school rewarded these students for ambushing a professor and getting in their face. I mean, most of my friends, millennial friends, are apolitical for the reason that they don't like how politics has just devolved into this blood sport. There's no um, decency anymore. And, and when you have universities out there who are rewarding students for behaving in this manner, you're incentivizing you know, this constant degradation into, you know, this nastiness of a, of a blood sport that politics has become. Very well said. And on the subject of real dialogue, it would have been kind of good if these, if this group of students who felt that the Halloween policy, costume policy was the right thing to just ask, can we have a conversation, share our view? I mean, a dialogue where you, they say what they think. And, the other, and that's what this, the gentleman, Christakis, was trying to do in a very calm way, trying to explain, I think it's healthier if we have a dialogue. And all that was happening was name-calling and getting in his face and threatening and yelling. And they're rewarded. Sorry. And I, my question is, are they even conservative, this couple? I doubt that they are. They're probably pretty progressive themselves. And we're also seeing something like this at Evergreen College, where a very progressive teacher is getting basically mobbed by African-American students for being a white supremacist and a, and a racist, basically for nothing. And so it's not even necessarily conservatives that are only being attacked. It's anyone that is slightly anti-political correctness, anyone that is pro-free speech or free thinking, that's who's getting attacked. And that is even scarier than the political divide. It's an ideological divide. It is an attack on free speech and on free thought more than it is even conservative thinking. So quick tell the Evergreen College story. You said you brought up Evergreen. Yes, and I can't remember the exact details. I was just watching this poor professor on Tucker Carlson the other night explaining that he's a liberal, he's a progressive, and for I don't for some reason I'm thinking that there wasn't even a specific instance except for these African American students feel that they were being marginalized at Evergreen College and they mobbed one of their teachers outside of his room, calling him a white supremacist and a racist. And I'm going to have to do more research. Maybe I shouldn't have brought it up until I knew no, that's okay. on, on well, what specifically. On what specifically he said, but interestingly enough, on Tucker Carlson, they never got to the part of the story where he said, well, I did this, and so they did this. It was almost like this mob mentality just came over this community, and the president of Evergreen has totally given in, has excused them from all of their homework for protesting. And I'm oh. not even sure why. I don't know if they know why either, honestly. Yeah, I don't. I, it's funny, and I, I didn't mean to put you in the, put you in the spot, but I read no, that story okay. a while ago too, and I can't really call the details. But there was something about it that the students at Evergreen want to be um, that they were able. You were given a day off of college, told they leave the campus to go do something, rather than the professor said, "No, actually, you're supposed to be here." I think you know this is like college, and we have class today. But whatever it was, this was just a a minor disruption. But this this willingness of uh, first of all, students, this kind of ingrained sense that I'm I'm entitled to raise any subject and find offense and protest, and the school finds it so much easier to say, okay, fine, we'll give in. Okay, so we have a couple minutes before we go to the break, and I do want to get the Mizzou story. Oh, you found Evergreen? Yes. Yeah. Okay, so what it is is they have a day of absence. Radical activists want to turn the school's traditional day of absence, a day where black students leave campus, into effectively a day of exclusion, demanding that white students and professors leave instead so only black people can be on campus. Brett Weinstein, who is the progressive biology professor, um, he wrote, and of course a pop-up just came up, but he wrote basically just politely objecting, saying, 
well, th well, this actually doesn't seem like progress. And that's so that's why these students mobbed him and said, you're a racist for even suggesting that this is wrong. OK, and I know I say this every time we talk about these cases, but what are these goofball students going to do when they have to join the working world? Are they going to think that every time they go to work and their boss looks at them funny or comments on their attire or questions whether they comb their hair this week? Is that something they can say? That they can say I'm offended and I'm outraged and it's because of race and you're, I mean, and they can spend their lives in this racial protest mode? Because the answer, my friends, is no. They cannot do that. Okay, 45 seconds left. And we're going to uh, we're gonna pick up on the Mizzou um, situation again after the break because part of what's happening, we could just tell story after story. We have Yale and Harvard and I have stories in front of me from Duke um, and other schools. But really what we're going to get to after the break is that these do not happen in a bubble, or they don't happen in a vacuum. Once these things happen, there are impact. Their impact occurs. Consequences occur. Perhaps because school funding gets cut, or because students don't want to go there because such a, a toxic environment's been created. So there's really a little bit of motivation. The administrations in most of these schools are motivated to just humor the protesters. Maybe Mizzou's example will be a motivation for administrators to take a tougher stand. Don't go away. We'll be right back after the break. Let me tell you about the group Vice President Mike Pence called the most effective grassroots pro-life organization in America. It's the Susan B. Anthony list, and they're the ones who are on Capitol Hill right now, day in, day out, to fight back against Planned Parenthood and the abortion industry. Every day in our nation, abortion takes more than 2,000 innocent lives, almost two every single minute of every single day. And Planned Parenthood is the largest abortion business in the country, committing one-third of all abortions. It's an unspeakable tragedy and a stain upon our nation and our humanity. And it's up to us to do something about it. This is your opportunity to join the team that's leading the charge to end abortion. Go to sba-list.org or Google Susan B. Anthony List now to learn more and start saving lives today. Texans have a long tradition of independence, and we don't like being told what to do, especially by liberal bureaucrats 1,000 miles away. That's why for 30 years, the Dallas-based Institute for Policy Innovation has fought Washington's efforts to take more of your money and freedom. IPI works every day to keep taxes low and freedom high to promote free market health care, expand energy security, protect intellectual property, and combat onerous regulations that destroy American jobs. Politicians often talk smaller government, but then vote for more of it. By contrast, IPI has never veered from its mission to defend the Constitution and fight for freedom. If you want to be informed about free market policies and solutions, go to IPI's website and sign up. All of their information is free for sharing. Help IPI restore liberty and economic growth. Go to IPI.org today. That's IPI.org. One more time, go to IPI.org today. Hi, this is Debbie Georgiatis. On my radio show, we have the theme music by Krista Branch that has the refrain, 
I am America. I chose it because it summarizes what I think is a really important truth about America. We the people are America. We the people are blessed with extraordinary power in our country, and we have to use that power to keep America strong and free for everyone. And how do we do that? We have the responsibility to understand the issues facing our country, to get beyond soundbite and slogan politics. We have the responsibility when politicians propose solutions to understand, will those solutions preserve American-style freedom or slowly, incrementally destroy it? We have to vote once we are informed about the issues. But even more so, we have to speak up to our friends, our family members, to speak up in our daily life about the reality that we each have a responsibility and privilege to defend American-style freedom. This is Debbie Georgiatis on America Can We Talk. If there's one thing the conservative movement needs, it's a leader. And we have one, the Heritage Foundation. Hi, I'm Debbie Georgiatis. Heritage gets in the trenches on Capitol Hill. They promote principled solutions directly to lawmakers in Washington. And unlike politicians, they don't waver or compromise. But they're not a Washington institution. There are nearly a half million Heritage members and supporters in America. And they're on a mission to grow that number and build the conservative base. You can become a Heritage member by going to joinheritage.org today. I've been a member of Heritage myself for years. I have Heritage experts on my show, and I rely on their analysis to get the facts out. As a member, you'll get updates from Heritage Foundation on the fight for conservative solutions to America's challenges. Plus, you'll receive exclusive invitations to conservative events where you live. So join the growing movement. Find out more at joinheritage.org. That's joinheritage.org. Can you hear us now? And welcome back to America Can We Talk. I want to jump right in because we I want to f- cover a few more of these college cases just because it can seem that these are random, isolated, bizarre little things that happened, but Actually, there's a growing number of cases on various college campuses where you realize that the whole concept of free speech, the whole concept of talking through issues, is just been eviscerated by a very toxic environment created, in my view, by the American left designed to divide Americans. But we were talking about Mizzou in the break, and Jeremy actually has a little bit of a firsthand view of it all. So I want to remind everyone what happened at Mizzou two years ago and then what's happening to him today. Serves him right. Yeah, so so the student uh, jumps out into the street, gets gets bumped by the car, uh, being driven by an administrator, um, claims that the administrator tried to mow him down, and this ignites this whole protest movement, um, which ends in a, a series of demands. And, you know, among those, people be removed. Their president, Tim Wolf, they wanted him to write a, a handwritten apology to these protesters. They wanted him to publicly acknowledge his white privilege um, and, and systematic oppression. And then they wanted... Uh, you know, it, it keeps going down. I mean, there's a dozen demands. Um, and so the, the football team had said they, they are in lockstep with these protesters and they're not playing a football game until uh, these demands are met. Um, he's re- since retired, but uh, former head coach Gary Pinkle said, I stand with my players and a number of uh, Mizzou faculty um, outside the athletic program stood with him as well. Um, and so what we've seen now, you know, going on two years after all these protests, is their enrollment was down 23% in 2016 and, and down again in 2017. And so the, the university has just announced that they've had a number of cuts, about 100 faculty cuts in administrative positions um, because enrollment's down and, re- and university revenue is way down. 
So now we're starting to see some of the actual uh, consequences and, and you know, real uh, fallout to, to what happened. You know, it's interesting because it's not just that conservatives, if they happen to have been supporters of Mizzou or donors, are stepping back. They have a, a very large decrease in applications to go to Mizzou because I love they gave a little summary of the incident um, that this young man claimed that this um, whoever was driving the car had had tried to hit him and. And there were just there was racial tension for days on that campus and protests. And this wasn't too long after Ferguson. Is that right? Too long after Ferguson. So there was a lot of tension at that time. And there was just it was very disruptive to the academic schedule at Mizzou. And so you had students the following year who might have been logical applicants to Mizzou just saying, you know, that place is kind of crazy. It's, it's too divisive up there. It's too divided. It's too dangerous. It's too, I want to go to college to learn. So they had applications down. Um, they had, I think they've closed two dorms because they don't have enough students coming. So the student population is dropping. So then all the things you're talking about, then you don't need as many faculty. You don't need as many, um, you know, administrators. You just need fewer people. They also had at Mizzou, if they finally found a permanent replacement for the deposed chancellor, they named someone from State University of New York, Alexander Cartwright. But, yeah, Alexander Cartwright. But they have a still unfilled position at the school, chief of diversity Equity and inclusion, a job created in response to the protests. Does that seem that to me that seems like it is a painful, I mean, just impossibly painful job, even if you go and you want, I mean, and all this to say, I want every American student who's qualified to be at any school to feel welcome, to feel encouraged to come, to be part of the American college experience, whatever your racial or ethnic background, just come be part of the campus. But when you spend so much time focusing on, as they say, the color of the wrapper, instead of what's inside you, your interests, your, your talents, your gifts, what you want to be do, what you want to learn. You spend so much time focused on, you know, the color of your skin or the language your grandparents spoke or the country your ancestors came from, and that's your identity versus I'm a student here and I'm, I'm a student to learn about whatever it is you go to learn about. You just, it's a no-win, it's a tribal situation, and this I, I can really see how it's very hard to fill a job like that. It's a, like a dangerous job to take. It's like a, it's a no-win job to take. Yeah, absolutely. I, you know, we, there's sort of this cultural phenomenon going on right now of, of manufactured outrage and sort of weaponizing that outrage to list our demands, to say we, we need this. And the more offended I can at least pretend that I am, the more that I can demand that you give me. And, and it's not um, you know, an enviable position that these Mizzou faculty um, were in. But in the moment, they gave in to the, these, you know, fomenting outrage protesters. And, and so, you know, it just it keeps escalating, whether it's Mizzou or elsewhere, this outrage just it's, it's being weaponized. Oh, is it, and implanted. I mean, it is an intentional. I love that. I'm going to steal that expression. I wrote it down. Weaponized outrage. That's really good. Um, I, I like that a lot. But I do think it's, you know, first of all, lest we ever be on this topic and fail to mention This was shortly after Ferguson, the incident in Ferguson, and it has come to light later that at Ferguson, many of the protesters at Ferguson were not from Ferguson. Large numbers of protesters at Ferguson and many other uh, protests around the country were being paid by George Soros, being paid by the Open Society Foundation. It's not just 
individuals worked into anger and upset and outrage. It is people who think this is part of my job. To, I'm on the Soros team. I'm being paid to protest and I'm doing something good. And, you know, at the end of the day, you hurt. I mean, Mizzou was actually a pretty darn good school. People, isn't Mizzou the one that's a really good journalism? Yeah, isn't one of the best. In the country. Yeah. And, and now the idea that journalism uh, program has to be hurting. And, and every school likes to be known for something special. But you talk about a place you wouldn't want to go if there's a lot of racial and political tension. You know, you're not going to go to a place where you're going to be majoring in journalism but the environment is just toxic and dangerous and divided. And it's ironic, right, that the leader of journalism is having such hard PR problems um, because they really are. And in this day and age, the worst thing that you can be is a racist. And actually, the worst thing that can happen to you is being accused of being a racist, whether you're a racist or not. And so exactly like what you were saying, that this is not an enviable an enviable position to try to reconcile two eyes, two two sides of the aisle that have villainized each other so much to the point where reconciliation really isn't that much of a prospect right now. And that's not actually what they're demanding. They're not demanding reconciliation. They're demanding almost superiority is what they want. They want the tables to turn from what they think was the evil of white patriarchy. And I think it's just as evil. Um, either side saying that you need to re- resent who you are for your skin color, whether you're black or white, is wrong. And going from the extreme of slavery and discrimination that we've seen in America all the way to the other side of saying if you're white, you're evil and we demand X, Y, Z, that's equally polarizing and equally wrong. And you can never, this is my thing about tribalism, you can never get to unity if your basic core identity in your heart, in your head about yourself in America, is your race or ethnicity. You can, there's nothing to unify around. You can only unify around right ideas. Back to uh, such as, you know, the ideas in the Declaration of Independence, that we have rights from God, that we were, that the country exists to protect those rights, that we have a, you know, we have a rights to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, that in America we have freedom. I mean, you can unite around all sorts of wonderful ideas, free markets and the rule of law and the notion of competition and success and prosperity. You can unite around those things. You can't unite around division. One more thing on Mizzou I saw, you mentioned it, but, or you mentioned, alluded to this, Mizzou is going planning to wipe out 400 jobs. So all of this tension created by this incident, and maybe, you know, if the, if the student who claimed it was hit by a car had gone to the administration and say, look, this seemed kind of intentional to me. I mean, here's what happened, and I, I think he tried to hit me, and they had an investigation and a discussion, maybe a different outcome. But the point where you have campus in a frenzy and, and protests everywhere and refusal, the end of the day is, you know, they, they lose students, so they lose faculty, they lose the state legislature, cut their funding, they're a state school. And then you have people losing jobs, which is back to, you know, I don't know how many of those jobs are low-income people relying on a single salary, or you know, I don't know how many are the, the lower-level jobs versus the very high administrative jobs. But people losing jobs means families don't have a paycheck. It all comes around impacting America. And, and the long-term reputation of that university that they love and have called home for four-plus years, um, you know, I'd be so curious to hear what some of these protest leaders and football players um, and, and the former head coach, you, you know, what do you think now? I mean, are, do you regret your actions? Do you think that there was a better way that, that you could have handled this situation um, and, and furthered what you believe in? Or do you think that you have no regrets and that the cause was more important than your university? It'd be really interesting to hear that. 
It would, and probably no one will ever ask them. I mean, you know, for for us to be able to hear. Okay, we're coming up on a break, and I do. I, when we come back, I want to tell you one other quick story about a university, and then we are going to turn briefly to Donald Trump's decision to um, pull America out of the climate treaty. Uh, it's not a treaty. The climate deal, which was never ratified in America, so it's not a treaty. And before we go to the break, I also want to take a moment to thank our sponsor, GC Works, which is a Dallas-based company that performs research and advanced technology and delivers innovative approaches to the oil and gas industry. Thank you, GC Works. Couldn't do the show without you. Come right back. August 2nd, 2006, Debbie Lee was notified that her son, Mark Allen Lee, had been killed, becoming the first Navy SEAL to lose his life in Iraq. She had no choice about the news that was given to her, but she did have a choice how she responded. In response to her son's amazing last letter, she founded America's Mighty Warriors to honor the sacrifices of our troops, the fallen, and their families by providing programs that improve quality of life, resiliency, and recovery. Whether America's Mighty Warriors is hosting retreats for families of the fallen, helping heroes heal who are struggling with traumatic brain injury or post-traumatic stress disorder, providing relaxation at the Heroes Hope Home, stepping in when an injustice is committed, or doing random acts of kindness. As Mark mentioned in his letter, they know the price of freedom and who pays it. Our troops and families of the fallen need your support. Visit americasmightywarriors.org today to learn more. That's americasmightywarriors.org. Our nation faces a choice. The path of big government based out of Washington or the unique brand of liberty and prosperity enjoyed here in Texas. For 27 years, the Texas Public Policy Foundation has helped leaders in the Lone Star State prove that fiscal restraint and small government can deliver opportunity and prosperity for all. The Texas Public Policy Foundation promotes and defends solutions here and around the country based on liberty, free enterprise, and personal responsibility. Whether informing the national debate on property rights energy, taxes, education, or criminal justice, the foundation works to translate ideas into real change. The Texas Public Policy Foundation does not accept government funds or contributions to influence the outcome of its research. It is supported by thousands of people like you who are concerned about the future of our country. You can help Texas remain strong as the beacon of liberty in America. Visit TexasPolicy.com to learn more. Hi, this is Debbie Georgiatis. On my radio show, we have the theme music by Krista Branch that has the refrain, I am America. I chose it because it summarizes what I think is a really important truth about America. We the people are America. We the people are blessed with extraordinary power in our country, and we have to use that power to keep America strong and free for everyone. And how do we do that? We have the responsibility to understand the issues facing our country to get beyond soundbite and slogan politics. We have the responsibility when politicians propose solutions to understand, will those solutions preserve American-style freedom or slowly, incrementally destroy it? 
We have to vote once we are informed about the issues. But even more so, we have to speak up to our friends, our family members, to speak up in our daily life about the reality that we each have a responsibility and privilege to defend American-style freedom. This is Debbie Georgiatis on America Can We Talk. Do you know that one in nearly five United States residents lives in an immigrant household? That we take in more than one million new legal immigrants every year? Studying the impact of federal immigration program is the mission of the Center for Immigration Studies, the nation's only think tank looking at the broad national effect of immigration policy. Whether it's on crime, welfare, national security, or the job market, CIS digs out information about immigration from government sources, translates it into English, and makes it available to the public, the news media, and policymakers in Washington. Check out its work at CIS.org. CIS makes the case for better enforcement against illegal immigration and lower levels of legal immigration in the future. Most other special interest groups pursue the opposite. The only thing standing between them and open borders is an informed public. Get informed and stay informed by visiting CIS.org. That's CIS.org. And welcome back. So glad you tuned to America Can We Talk. Okay, we're talking before the break about colleges. And, you know, there's so many other stories. We were trying to decide, you know, what things you want to talk to because we always have more topics and time. And Jeremy made, Jeremy made one point that was really good about Mizzou, which was this would be such a good case study for colleges, like how not to handle a an uprising at the school because – I, I don't know if anyone there would claim race relations are better, but they've lost students, they've lost money, they've lost stature, they have to fire people because they don't have jobs because there aren't enough students there. And at the end of it all, I never got anything, and I did follow at the time, I never got any sense that the demands that were made by the uh, organized, uh, the I'm not sure it was called the Black Student Union or the name of the group there, whatever the name was, but I don't think they ever said, well, now we're satisfied, which is one of the problems we have in all these kinds of situations is, you know, I'm not sure whatever could satisfy a group like the group that brought the protests about in, in at Mizzou. I don't even know if they got what they were asking for. Do you even know if they got there? I mean, I don't know if any of those demands have been specifically met. Some of them were longer-term things like increase fa- um, faculty with black, you know, fill those positions with African-Americans by 10% over, you know, X years, so... It's nothing like right away. It's it's a lot more long term kind of thing. I, I don't know. I just I um I know it can sound kind of I don't even know what the right word is Pollyanna, but all this focus on race just keeps dividing. You you just can't get to. I mean, I I do see the notion that if you're a successful um, student in America and you're African American, you go off to college and you're the only uh, or only one of a very small number of black students. Maybe you'd feel comfortable and more and better if you had some black administrators, some black professors. It didn't feel like, but I, I'm just sorry that that's the first element that that people agree to identify themselves by. It's yeah. all, oh, go ahead. Yeah. Well, I was just going to say we, you know, we'll we'll be on to the next thing to be angry about before we'll have any time to really digest this. But you know, the easy takeaways are that uh, a more civilized discourse would be more effective for the cause. And would would be better for the university, like I said, that they've called home, and and so Mizzou is worse off, race race relations are worse off, everything that that was touched by this protest movement is worse off. But we we won't learn anything. We'll just get angry at the next thing and forget about it. Amen to that. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, the problem here is is that 
The left has cried racism so much for every little emotional microaggression that the right, unfortunately, is unwilling for the most part to concede when there are real instances of racism because we've heard it so much for everything that the right honestly is too quick to say, oh, no, that's not racism. Stop whining. Stop crying. That makes the left more mad. They say racism is systemic and that white patriarchy is to blame and that everything is racism. The right says nothing's racism. That just comes to blows. What needs to happen and what can happen with those of us who are reasonably thinking is we can concede when racism does exist and say, yeah, that's wrong. That's disgusting. You shouldn't have said and you shouldn't have done that. That should be denounced. The left should say, you know what? Not everything is racism. Not every police officer is racist. You know, not everyone who voted for Donald Trump is racist. Not every conservative is racist. Maybe there's not systemic racism in America, but there are instances of racism. Can we talk about that? Then at least we can come to the table and we can say, you're right, that was wrong. You're right, that was wrong. And talk about solutions. But as it is right now, we are more concerned with winning and just being correct than we are actually getting anything done, unfortunately. Yeah, I think that is all true. And I think the increased discussion in college campuses about um, you know, white supremacy and inherent white privilege and courses that, that where people are, are taught to or they're supposed to acknowledge a white privilege and apologize for it, I, I where my head is, I'll have none of that. I mean, you know what? I, I will agree historically, of course. Everyone knows America's history. And in our history, we, we had slavery and we had segregation and they were both wrong and they were evil and we fought against them and we do not have a perfect society and no one's claiming we do. But I don't want to, I, I think that many people, and I don't really think it's an unjustified reaction. I think most people just say, look, I live my life every day to the best of my ability to, to love my neighbors myself, to treat everyone as an equal, as a child of God, as, a, as an equal in, um, American with equal rights. And I don't want to have, I don't want to send my kid off to college or, or think myself that money's being used to just study historic systemic racism. I mean, deal with, I like your point, Allie, deal with specifics because there certainly are. I mean, I remember Tim Scott the, the African-American United States senator, um, spoke on the floor of the Senate about how often he, as a dignified, well-dressed you know, African-American senator driving a nice car and following the law, how often he is pulled over, stopped, followed by police officers. I've heard that from my very precious friends, my moms who are black and whose sons, they talk about how teaching their sons to drive was a, was a hard thing. They had to say, you got to be especially careful because officers are more likely to pull you over and you really have to be careful and use your blinker and all the, all the training they have to go through. So I don't think there's no problem, but as you're, I think you're point so well taken when there's just a proliferation of accusations on the left it makes people just say i don't want to hear it and then you don't hear the real issues i think that's very valid okay well now we're only six minutes left i want to at least acknowledge that donald trump pulled us out of the um well let me say this he believes and he announced he has pulled america out of the climate treaty but let me remind you folks if you follow this just a few weeks ago on this show we had on may 21st we had an interview with dr sterling burnett and he's a phd he's an environmental wizard he is with the heartland institute we had a fabulous interview describing two quick things one was how there is, despite the hysteria of the left, there is actually no proof that catastrophic man-caused climate change is occurring 
or that's going to do anything bad to us. Yes, of course, the climate changes has changed since time began. He's got all sorts of data out there about how America, how the world has had higher CO2 levels and higher t- average temperatures long before than we do today from long before even when combustible engines were invented or when fossil fuels were exploited. So he, he's got he's full of data. But the, the thing on Trump, the, I mean, this was a campaign promise. You got to hand him that. He said, get you out of this. The danger of it is I wanted to mention this because we didn't get to this when we had um, we, when we had on Dr. Burnett. But the the deal that President Obama committed America to or attempted to commit America to in Paris, the Paris Climate Accord, you know, Trump could announce, OK, we've pulled out. We're, we're not doing this anymore. But the way the deal is written, which Obama agreed to without ever running it by the Senate. So it's not a treaty, but it actually says in the deal that America to any country to withdraw has to give notice of of their decision to the UN secretary general. And under the terms of the agreement, he can't even give that notice until three years after the agreement came into force. He can't even give the notice to October 5th, 2019. And even then the withdrawal doesn't become effective until a year later. So He's made this big speech, but under the terms of the deal, he can't carry it out. On the other hand, it's just, I mean, it never went through the United States Senate. It's not a treaty. And this is the way I wish Trump had handled it, which is to say, you know, here in America, I don't have, and President Obama didn't have authority to commit to this. So let me send it over to the Senate. If they ever approve it by two-thirds, which the Constitution requires two-thirds of the senators to agree, then, okay, we have a treaty. Short of that, we're not committed. But he didn't do it. So it's interesting how the world's going to handle this because, you know, on the one hand, they can say we're, we're going to hold you to the deal, but they, there's no sovereignty there. You know, that they don't have any ability to do that beside just a scolding answer to America that you shouldn't be pulling out. You, you're, you know, people aren't going to trust your word. If you have any thoughts about what he did, but... Well, okay. I have I have more thoughts about the left's reaction to it. I actually ended up doing the satirical video just because the reaction to what he did was so absurd and apocalyptic that I just couldn't take it. First of all, if you pulled out of this deal, you could be the biggest tree hugger in the world and still think that this is a bad deal for America and want to come out of it. This doesn't mean that you don't think that we should be saving the earth or that you hate sea turtles or that you just want to frack everything. That's just not necessarily the case. First and foremost, he ran on a campaign that was America first. He thinks this is a bad deal for America. It puts an economical burden on America that we do not need. And that's the bottom line. It actually has much less, I think, to do with the environment and much more to do with the economy but every headline that you read says oh he's a climate change denier he hates science and he's reversing all of this progress what progress what science are you talking about it's totally over sensationalized right and just kind of looking at it logically you see that that some of the world's biggest polluters like china and india they have no requirements to increase really their um you know their carbon footprint they don't they don't contribute financially a lot of these european countries aren't contributing financially but american taxpayers are are given the entirety of the financial burden for this and so it, it i think is has been contaminated with partisan politics of we just want american money and, and it doesn't seem like this altruistic collaborative movement towards saving our environment 
Yeah, you know, I will urge again, listeners, if you go back to the, if you go to AmericaCanWeTalk.org and go to the interviews from May 21st, you can hear Dr. Sterling Burnett full of data about the f- fallacy of this, you know, catastrophic man-caused climate change. But in addition, I love that you both brought up this idea that it really was about money. I'm going to tell you one little factoid if your friends bring up and say, isn't this just terrible Donald Trump got us out of the climate deal? The United States, our country, has already paid $1 billion, with a B as in boy, billion, to the Paris Agreement Green Fund, and all the nations combined have paid zero. Okay, this is a finan- this is a wealth redistribution. This is why President Obama loved it. It's why the left loves it. This is all about saying America's bad because we have more money, we have more abundance, we have more prosperity, and somehow I'm going to guilt America into giving away money. In fact, I can't go into it because we only have 45 seconds left in the show tonight, but there are many, many statements I could read you that point out that it's not just the conservatives in America saying this deal was not about climate, it was about money. It is participants in the deal it's it's foreign countries it's companies around the world this was a wealth transfer effort by the obama administration and by the american left and many many large international interests also invested in having people believe in climate change invested in making money by having the deal in place so trump did indeed in getting us out of this deal Stand up for America. And on that note, we're almost out of time. I want to thank you for tuning in every week to America Can We Talk. Follow me on Twitter at Debbie Can We Talk. And tune in every week to America Can We Talk, where we talk truth about America. Thank you for listening to America Can We Talk with Debbie Georgiatis. To learn more or to contact Debbie, go to AmericaCanWeTalk.org. America Can We Talk, truth about America. America.